Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the On Texas Football Tuesday Night Live Stream. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every Tuesday by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, both of Inside Texas and On 3. And uh, guys, we're getting closer to that fall camp date. It's just right around the corner. But recruiting is just in high gear right now. Um, Jerry, I know that you and Justin both put in a couple of RPMs on some 2025 kids today. And so why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that if they haven't read it on InsideTexas.com. Yeah, yeah. We went from the uh, country road to the uh, I-45 today and put in a couple RPMs. Uh, <laughs> I, I put in one for DeCorian Moore, the wide out from uh, Duncanville at 70% for Texas. And look, I, I he's going to go to LSU next weekend. And when I was at Duncanville earlier in the spring, the three schools that he mentioned, and there you see DeCorey Moore, five-star, I, I think the best receiver in Texas, regardless of classification. Um, but, I, you know, when I went to Duncanville this year, the three teams that he told me and that I also heard from people around Duncanville were Texas, LSU, and USC. And really it was more Texas and LSU. Um, you know, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is his favorite wideout, right? He likes LSU, but his mom's from Austin. Family's in Austin. He was at Texas all weekend for June 3rd weekend with his mom. Uh, and there's just nothing I'm hearing. Uh, I think that time spent with Chris Jackson, Steve Sarkeesian was big. Um, you know, he was down at the uh, Future 50 uh, event um, with K.J. Lacey and Ryan Williams. And both those guys said, man, he really likes Texas a lot. So you do more digging after that. And what you see is Texas has a pretty considerable lead for DeCorey and Moore right now. So I went ahead and put in an RPM. And that, I'm not saying he's committing tomorrow, next week, next month, or before his junior season ends. But I feel comfortable enough with where Texas is at and where I think this recruitment's headed that I put in an RPM. Justin put in one for Jordan Davidson, the running back out of modern day, who is, is scheduled to be back next weekend in Austin. He was in Austin January 21st for the big junior day event um, with, with some talented backs in 24, Jarrett Gibson, a couple other guys. There's Jordan Davison, number 38 in the on three industry rankings for 2025. Again, high school teammates with Brandon Baker, DeAndre Carter. Um, I believe Sarkeesian's son was on Brady. Sarkeesian was on that team as well. Um, there's a lot of, uh, th there's a lot of Texas love at modern day right now. And I think, uh, look, when you talk about the, the running backs uh, to short choice loves, he's already two for two in Florida. So Jordan Davison's out of modern day. He may as well go into California and get one too. Uh, so uh, Justin Wells put in an RPM uh, for Jordan Davidson today. So we put in RPMs for two of the top 2025 offensive targets on the board. Man, it seems like whoever choice targets is who he gets. That's for sure. Or at least it's been like that the past couple of years. Well, the uh, other big news that, you know, for Texas fans that they're watching, of course, we have a couple of decisions coming this week um, from DeAndre Robinson and Corian Gibson. And why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that and what you're hearing recently? Yeah, DeAndre Robinson uh, is scheduled to announce at 1 p.m. Eastern time in Orlando Jones Thursday. Um, right now, I still feel I feel good about where Texas sits in this recruitment. It's Texas or Florida. Florida's not giving up. They continue to make a, a big run at it. I talked to Keith Niebuhr, a colleague, earlier today. He's a Gators with the Florida Gators site. He has years and years in the business like myself, like Bobby have. And he's at Florida's not giving up. They're continuing to push it. Uh, they feel like they're making it a tough decision on DeAndre. I, I, still, I, I still think DeAndre – uh, I'm picking Texas and I'm sticking with it to commit to Texas Thursday over Florida. But even if he does, Florida's not going to give up. It's no different than Cedric Baxter's recruitment last year. He committed to Texas, ended up on campus at Florida State. 
And and I know that makes Texas fans nervous, but these schools shouldn't give up. Not like Texas won't give up on a prospect that commits to another school. You can't do that with the top targets. Um, so, but I like where Texas sits with DeAndre Robinson, Corin Gibson. I like where Texas sits over Clemson. Ohio State's a distant, distant third. Um, there were some reports that this was going to be a Clemson, Ohio State top two. It's ne- Ohio State's never been in a top two. This has always been Texas or Clemson. Uh, and, and similar to DeAndre, I like where Texas sits with Corian Gibson. There you see their number 73 prospect in the on 300, it, or on three industry rankings. Uh, and look, he's an interesting recruitment, though, guys, because he kind of goes against he goes against the grain. If he made three visits to Clemson since the spring, two unofficials in the official visit. If you follow the visits like we've done traditionally recruiting, that would tell you Clemson's going to win. But we already had one outside those years of experience. Aaron Hampton decommitted from Texas and committed back to Texas. That very rarely happens. So I think this one's going to go against the grain as well. Uh, and Texas is the favorite over Clemson. All right. Well, lots of good news there right now for Texas fans. Now, Bobby, one thing I wanted to ask you last week, of course, you went to Big 12 Media Days. This week, SEC Media Day started, and I know you've been paying attention to that. What, what were some of your takeaways from the past couple of days there? Well, um, there were a couple. I, I mean, I, I wrote a, an, an article uh, in on Inside Texas about uh, my feelings of uh, commissioner uh, for uh, the SEC, Greg Sankey, and how he differs so much uh, from the commissioner of the Big 12, Brett Yormark. Uh, Sankey, much more in tune with college sports, uh, much more pedigree in that regard. Uh, very much a look forward and not they're not a wait around conference. They're going to do it if they think it's the best for the SEC and the best for the sport as a whole. Uh, so whether that's a um, being on the aggression when it comes to uh, going after Texas and OU, or it has to do with uh, re-figuring re, uh, out their TV rights. He's going to be aggressive uh, and go for the best for the conference. And, and you know what? He's gotten it. Uh, the other thing I would take away is Jimbo's still not telling people who's calling plays in College <laughs> Station. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we've heard some, some scuttlebutt that that's kind of a little bit of a hot mess at times, but, you know, and, you're not there, but uh, Jimbo clearly would not talk about who was calling plays uh, in uh, College Station this year. Of course, there was some uh, thought that uh, he had to make a change at offensive coordinator this offseason and relinquish play calling duties. I think he's probably relinquished, relinquished play calling duties, but just doesn't want to tell everybody. That's that's kind of where I'm at on it, uh, because, uh, you know, you don't get told that by the, the brass that pay that that make you or that cut the paycheck and then not follow through. Right. And so uh, beyond that, uh, I think that the other thing that was really interesting to me is next year's big uh, next year's SEC media days will be in Dallas at the Omni, uh, which just so happens to be in direct competition with uh, the guys over at Jerry world and the big 12 at the same time or a week before something like that. So my opinion, uh, the SEC's marking its territory, you know, it's, uh, it, it just, it feels too much like that with the addition of Texas and OU. Then also you have bordering states like Arkansas and, and Louisiana as well. So uh, look, I, I feel pretty strongly about uh, the SEC as a conference. It's a much stronger conference top to bottom. Uh, I don't want to say more professional because I think there are professional people at all conferences. I just think it's a higher 
uh, caliber conference through and through and top to bottom. I, the Big 12 likes to say, well, we're the most competitive cl- conference. Eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I mean, I really don't. You know, Vanderbilt sitting there at five and seven last year. So, good point. Let's get real. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we uh, got lots of questions rolling in, and there's obviously plenty of time. So, please get those questions in, and we'll try to get as many as we can answered. But before we get to that, Bobby, why don't you tell everybody about Energy Texas? Yeah, Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. If you have a chance to uh, choose between one uh, energy provider and another in a deregulated energy state like Texas, you get the opportunity to work with energytexas.com. University of Texas CEO, friend of ours uh, as well. He's also built more than one of these companies and always tries to do best by his company uh, and by his customers. Uh, Call him at 855-461-1129 or go to www.energytexas.com. Right now they have a special on. uh, It's a flex plan that allows you to change what you need each and every month, uh, the program or the the, uh, the type of plan that you need for your energy providing uh, that month uh, beforehand at no additional cost. That's www.energytexas.com. All right. And we want to thank them for sponsoring us each and every Tuesday. And guys, we already got the questions rolling in, like I said. Uh, so let's start with the super chat, which seems to be more of a comment. And it's from Harry Orange Wookie. So I want to thank him. And he says, thank God Blake has a hat on this live. Beers for the boys. Hook them. I don't disagree with him, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it, regardless of what you think about my hat or, or my hair, either one. Is that is that a Cubs hat or what is, is that hat, by the way? Yeah. A Rangers fan, but I like the Cubs hats, man. It's just something about them. It's iconic. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's get to some questions. This first one from Alan Barrera. And he says, is this potentially the best team that Sark has had as a head coach, including USC and Washington years? What do y'all think? I wish somebody would have asked that to Sark at Big 12 Media Days. That would have been an interesting question. He had some very talented USC teams. I I would have to go back and look exactly how talented. But he didn't have that many, Jerry. I mean, he he lost some guys, remember? They were – Man, I think the answer is yes, Jerry. But I, 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 I agree with you. I think somebody needs to ask Sark that now. Yeah, is what I believe. And that's a that's a really good question. And Alan, thanks for it because I would think so is the answer. Uh, I think he has more depth at Texas than he ever had at Washington for sure. No, Although he had, you know, he had first round quarterback at Washington too. Right. Um, but I just think he has more depth. Uh, the question, I, you know. USC always is riddled with skill people, right? I think they had some issues along both lines when he was there more so than at skill, but uh, that's, that's a good question. As a head coach, clearly when he was an assistant at USC, I don't think the answer is the same. You know, I I think he had some better teams. All right. Next one is a super chat from Michael Williams. And he says, I know you have to continue recruiting players after they commit, especially with four and five stars. How does this recruitment differ between players committed to Texas versus players committed to another school with Texas still interested? Um, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, Bobby, what's your opinion on that? I want to think. So, about so here's the deal. So there are certain teams like Texas that can pray 
on teams that don't have the profile of Texas and their yeah. recruits. Let's just be clear. If tech, if a guy's committed to Texas, it's harder for Oklahoma State to steal from Texas than Texas to steal from Oklahoma State. Correct. Likewise, it's it can be harder for a team to like so it can also be easier for Texas to get a guy that was committed to Oregon if the guy is in the state of Texas, right? Yep. And likewise, if Texas goes out west, you know, it could be tougher for Texas to hang on to a guy that also is looking at USC. Those, those are natural things that I think happen right. in the days of it. And there is a pecking order of sorts. Um, and that's that's what we've seen in the past. And I think we'll continue to see it, even if it doesn't, you know, it's just one of those things, right? It, there, there is a natural pecking order. It's much like what y'all would think, but it's not true for every single player. It varies player to player. And I would say this. So let's think about like in this class. Um, Texas is remaining in contact with Weston Davis, the offensive tackle out Beaumont United, committed to Texas A&M. So that's a top 100 prospect ranked in the country by some, a, a high four-star prospect. So how long can Texas go without really going all in on him and still upset or get him to flip from A&M to Texas if they can at all? Because, you know, the longer this, a kid's committed, those relationships build. And then that call to say you're not coming is much tougher. Uh, so a lot of it's timing as well. And um, how long you let a kid stay committed before you really go all in on him. Um, if it's a month's period of time and it's two really good schools to uh, battling for a mid-four-star kid, it's, it's pretty difficult to flip that kid unless Texas is a school he's always wanted to go to. And maybe AM has a bad season. But if AM and Texas both have good seasons this year, and I'm talking eight, nine win seasons, 10 win season, even if AM goes eight and four and Texas goes 10 and two, it, it, that's not going to be an easy flip for Texas on a kid like Weston Davis because he has all those relationships built with AM. It's not like the wheels came off in their season. Um, and then you got to go in and flip them. So that, that's kind of my opinion on it. It's not. It's not easy to flip kids committed to really good schools unless you're the school they've always wanted to go to and they're willing to make the call to say no. And not many kids are. Some good insight there for sure. All right, let's see. Next one is from James JJ, and he says, over or under on eight and a half wins for OU this year? Well, they got an easy schedule. They really do. Very easy. I'm going to go under. I'm going to go on. I, th I think they're a year away. I'm going to go under as well. And, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Hey, Jerry, here's why I would go under. I almost think Brett Venable's first year was a little bit of a waste of time. Um, he even admitted it as much. Uh, he gave the existing players a year in the program before he really wanted to cut bait. Um, but I'm telling you, beating SMU is not going to be easy for them. Iowa State won't be an easy win for them. Texas, UCF, not going to be an easy win. Kansas, they go to the Jayhawks. Uh, you can bet Oklahoma State there is going to be ramped up. Versus they go to the altitude at BYU. Yeah, altitude at BYU and then home against TCU, which we'll see where the, the Horn Frogs end up this year. But that – that that is an that looks like an easy schedule, but for OU, they don't necessarily match up well right now with those guys. Yeah, they're going to have to outscore some people 
And I don't know that they have the offensive line this year to outscore people. I mean, look, and here's the thing you get in the Big 12 this year, too. Oklahoma goes to Cincinnati. I don't care how much Cincinnati lost. That's a big game for Cincinnati in the Big 12. That's a bigger game for Cincinnati than it is Oklahoma. That's their Big 12 opener in their in their history. That's it. That's a pretty big game for Cincinnati. They're going to be jazzed up. I think I would go under as well, eight wins. I mean, that's an easy schedule, though, for Oklahoma. If they don't get eight out of this, man, Brent's going to Hey, hey Sark won eight in his second year. Yep. So just, just keep in mind that – OU fans are thinking they're going straight back to the top like Lincoln Riley, and it may be a, a, a curved course as opposed to a straight line to the top. Uh, if Brent doesn't win eight this year, man, he's going to have a lot of heat. Yep. Especially with just, that just like Sark would have. Yep. Same thing. <laughs> well, I agree with you all on all points on that one. Well, let's stay on the uh, kind of schedule talk here because Antonio Sanchez asked, who do you guys think will be our toughest opponent this year? Alabama. Yes. What about uh, in conference? I, I yeah, in conference it's tough for, for me. Look, I can at, see at TCU. Well, that's the tough. That's maybe the toughest game, Jerry. But who yeah. are the really tough? K State, Kansas, TCU, Texas Tech. Though anybody argue with that? And then obviously, nah. I don't care what the records are when you play OU in the Cotton Bowl. On either way, right? It doesn't matter if Texas is up and OU's down or. OU's down well, in Texas. And, and look, it, Texas, I mean, Oklahoma takes the field having got lost 49 nothing last year. They will be motivated for that game this year. No, they're embarrassed. They were embarrassed. Yeah. And that, they haven't been embarrassed in that series much yeah. in the last 25 years. Let's be real. No, not at all. Definitely. Thanks, Antonio. All right. Next one is going to be kind of a two-part Super Chat. Uh, from Clifton Hines. He forgot to include the question here, so let me get to that part. And he says, question was meant with my Super Chat. Jerry, Longhorn fan now living in Tampa. He wants to catch an IMG game this year. Which one should he go to? He'll be here if you need time. <laughs> ah, that's Thank you, Clifton. At least uh, some restaurant uh, recommendations. I've been down there a lot. Uh, let me look at um, – <laughs> Let me look at their football schedule, and, I, and I'll hit you on that question. But you definitely need to go to a game uh, this season. I, I'm, I'm trying to think about who they have at home. See, it's easy in Texas because they just flip them. But the, IMG plays a national schedule. Um, I, let's see. Who do they have at home? Pensacola Pine Force, five-star offensive tackle, committed to FSU. Um Oh, that's it. November 17th, St. Francis Academy, Baltimore, Maryland, plays at IMG. Uh, that is one of the better games. That's your game. Got it. All right. So there you go, Clifton. Good luck. Hope you have a good time out there. Okay, guys, we got one more super chat. Uh, this one from Glenn Dickerson. And he said, could UT be saving that last safety spot for Bussy? I see him and Hampton able to play either wide receiver or safety, and I know he wants a chance at offense first. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't see it. Yeah. I don't see it. I, I think he's a wideout at the next level. I, I know I think Bobby and I agree on this. Not that he can't play defense, but we just think he we think he's an it's kind of like Cedric Cormier. He's more of an offensive mind minded player at the next level. Brennan Thompson. There you go. You know, that just not really built physically for defense is my thought. Yeah. 
All right. Well, moving on, we got a question from E. Kim, and he says, Bobby and Jerry, are you for natural grass over field turf football fields? Natural grass, 100%. A multitude of reasons. One, because I hate cleaning up my shoes after every game I go to <laughs> on a turf football field. And it's funny is I was dry, I'm out in LA doing a little vacation, and we and it's kind of really hot for LA out here. We had the windows down driving through UCLA campus today, and um, somebody in the car remarked that it smells like turf. <laughs> the heat and that smell of those rubber pellets. So let's get past the actual playing surface. But for the playing surface, grass, absolutely, for football players. It's not as hot. Um, I'm not even sure it's – I think it's better for the health of players, obviously. You don't get the the, the, the strawberries on your arm when you, when you slide on hot turf. I don't like the turf at all. I get why high schools have it because it is cost-effective when you're having multiple sports, lacrosse, soccer. Everybody practices on it. But for college, I don't like it at all. I don't know what you guys think unless you're in a cold weather. Or, no, I, and or I think rains every single day. Maybe Seattle, you need it, right? <laughs> well, Seattle's just a different animal. I mean, that you know, uh, especially in the fall. I, I think that you know, I definitely like natural better than turf, without question. Uh, the issues are that it does stand up better over time, so right. you don't get wear and tear. If it if it's in in A and M, I mean, I'm, I've been there. They think they have they've created grass at times uh, with their. Uh, agriculture background and they have all these drains and stuff, but I've still sat in a, and watched people slide all over their football field before. Whereas turf does, does do a better job of that in inclement Correct. weather, in my opinion. Correct. Um, even with all the newfound technology they have uh, for, for uh, grass. So I, I understand why you would want both. I, you know, what's interesting is they tried to figure out which one has more has caused more injuries, Jerry. And Blake, and there's been studies that show both ways, right? And it, so mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not conclusive on that. I think it really is more of a, a preference. I will say that that turf, the, the positive is, is that even in bad weather conditions, it's that generally it. a good field. That in is it. Natural grass, it can just be, it can be, it can just be toast. Somebody just asked, and we get this question every live stream, so I'll get it out of the way. If Quinn has a good year, does he declare for the NFL draft? If he has a good year, he goes to the NFL draft. There you and go. that's something I think we all believe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. and not just not just the three of us on here, but Justin, Eric, everybody. And, and I think that the reason why is it just makes too much sense. You know? I mean, even look at the mock drafts. He's in every mock draft that you can Google and pull up, you know. Yep. So – Definitely. All right, guys. Well, here's a recruiting one from Daniel Kinneman. And he says, it feels like UT is having trouble recruiting the top guys in Texas this year. Are there better options out of state or is it just how the cycle is going? Um, I think, uh, well, look, they've targeted some out of state kids above some in-state kids at certain positions. So that's a part of it. I mean, you know, Texas is going to, they're going to come back around. Ori Williams will probably visit during the season. Texas remains in contact with Weston Davis. Uh, Daniel Calhoun was the top left tackle on the board. Brandon Baker's the top right tackle on the board, just the way it is. Um, defensive line, not a great group in state. So that's forced Texas to go out of state more. 2025 is a better, deeper year in the state. So I don't think they'll have to go out of state as much right now. 
Uh, but there's certain positions that are going to be better out of state than in state. And, you know, that's kind of what Steve Sarkeesian's doing. I mean, look, wide receivers, there's great wide receivers every year, but they thought DeAndre Moore was better than most in Texas. And early on, it looks like they may be right. So somebody else asked if, if Parker Livingstone, this kind of goes in this question, was the number two receiver on the board for Texas. I don't think he was. I think I think Micah Hudson, Ryan Wingo, Ryan Wingo, Micah Hudson, 1A, 1B, are the two top receivers on Texas' board in this class. In the state, that's a possibility, though. Possible. Yeah. The the one thing I would also mention on the, those out-of-state guys, you forgot the biggest position, Jerry, running back. Yeah. They didn't really go after any of those state – Say to Texas running backs, one of them two years in a row. Yeah, one of them that's deciding between USC, Michigan, and who and OU. Yeah, and then another that's committed to Ohio State. Right. It's not like these are bad players. Texas just preferred the two on the coasts. Yeah, uh, in Arizona and in uh, in uh, Bradenton, Florida. Okay, guys. Well, this next one is a super chat as well. Uh, Juan's having a little trouble with it, but he says, sorry, he won't let me send my super chat, but I'll send you a super chat. I see Texas A&M as real threat for Colin Simmons and Kobe Black. Is this an Anthony Hill recruitment and Bryce Sanders all over again? I think he means uh, Bryce Anderson on that one. So, um, <laughs> look, the reality is Anthony Hill is committed to A&M too and until everything imploded. You know, if A&M has a good season and they don't have a bunch of guys have off-the-field issues, Anthony Hill's at A&M right now. So that season saved Texas in that recruitment. Um, no, I think it's different. I think Texas is eight and five. They signed Arch Manning. They have a Kelvin Banks as a freshman All-American. Anthony Hill's very happy with his decision. You have eight out-of-state big-name heavy hitters like Cedric Baxter who are loving their time at Texas. Um, and, and you have a strong, you have a bunch of guys in the NFL mock drafts for the first time in a long time at Texas. I mean, Whoa. there's a lot, and Texas is moving to the SEC, which is probably number one. I, A&M has lost their built-in advantage. That doesn't mean they're not going to beat Texas on recruits, and Texas isn't going to beat them on recruits, but they have lost the built-in advantage they had for a decade, and there's a reason A&M was so pissed when Texas and Oklahoma were going to the SEC. They knew they lost their built-in advantage. Uh, so I don't see these recruitments as similar. I think Texas leads for Simmons, and I think Texas leads for Black. There you go. Good news for Texas fans, for sure. Okay, let's see here. Damon Graham, he says, is anyone as worried about TCU as I am? I think, or I fear, everyone is overlooking them. I think people are overlooking TCU a little bit. Um, I think they recruited very well in the portal on offense, especially at wide out. John Paul Richardson, JoJo Earl, I mean, they recruited some really good wide outs in the portal. Cordell Rich Russell, freshman, is a very talented guy. Um, but they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. And it'll be interesting, is that Chandler Morse or does it end up going long-term to Josh Hoover, who's more of a scheme fit, played for Art Browse college roommate at high school at Rockwall Heath and has played in the system for so long. I think that'll be interesting. Defensively, they have some really good players coming back. I, I mean, they have four or five NFL players coming back. The corner could be a first, second-round pick. Um, the linebackers, a couple of those guys are NFLers. Uh, Dominic Williams, the nose guard D tackle, is an NFL player. Um, so they have some really talented players on defense, and that's a road game. So I do think Texas fans are overlooking that one a little bit early on. I don't think Texas fans will be overlooking it two weeks before it happens. Though. I want to say this. Bobby? Eight, eight guys picked. 
Yep. Eight guys picked last year. So uh, I listened to Sonny Dykes at Big 12 Media Days last week, kind of eschew those issues. Uh, they had three receivers taken, by the way. Yes, and lost Jordan Hudson. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so let's let's be clear. They Even if they gain some, they still aren't necessarily where they want to be. They also gained Trey Sanders in the back backfield. Yep. I think possibly to replace Kendra Miller. Uh, but the defensive guys they lost are considerable in my opinion. Tredavious Hodges-Thomason, good player. Horton, the big defensive end, good, good player. player. And really the guy that I think stirred the drink for their defense, D. Winters. Yeah. Out. So I, Sonny Dykes was talking about how much better – he thought his defense might be better this year. There's two things. One is their defense isn't going to surprise anyone this year. I think they maybe lost in Dylan Horton and, and D winners and Tomlinson maybe more than they think they did. Now I'm not saying they won't be good. Okay. Texas will be good. They lost some NFL guys to the draft too. I just don't know that they think they'll necessarily be as good as they were late last year. All right. There you go. Okay. Next one comes from King me. And he says, with Texas only leaving the state five times the next two seasons, how much of a benefit do you see that in our favor? I mean, is going to Waco and TCU and Houston, that's not really a – look, I, I don't think those are necessarily bad places for Texas to play, but I, leaving the state when you, you have such a big state as Texas isn't the, stay, isn't the same as staying at home. I, I, let's, let's be clear about that. The, the, the issue is is that – the times that they are leaving are pretty big games, uh, in my opinion. You're probably going to get Iowa State at night, right? That That's a tough place to play at night. Texas hasn't done well there recently. Uh, and Alabama at night, you know, this year alone. Those are tough games. Not I, One is not the same as the other, unlike what the uh, Big 12 commissioner, deputy commissioner talked about. But Alabama clearly at night is a tough game for anybody in this country. Yep, there's no doubt about that. All right, next one is a super chat, guys, from Don P. And he says, I may be late, but is there a chance for K.D. Dotson? Jerry? You know, just not not a name we've heard a lot. Um, and look, he had he, um, had a bit of an injury in the spring at Duncanville there, missed some time. Um, just not a name we've heard associated with Texas very much to this point. And by, by the way, so people are pinging on the TCU. I'm not saying TCU is going to be close to as good as last year. Don't get me wrong. It's a road game. If it was a tech, if it was a home game, I'd feel differently. But I think people are overlooking TCU because of how much they did lose. But I think they did a good job in the portal to keep them as an eight-win type of team, which is a tough game on the road for anybody. Okay, guys, we'll keep those questions coming in. But before we get to the next ones, Bobby, I'm going to pass it over to you to tell everybody about Energy Texas. Yeah, absolutely. In a state that is has deregulated energy, you get to choose. A lot of people get to choose their energy provider. If you get that opportunity, check out energytexas.com. It's Texas Electricity Done Right. They have a special plan going right now called the Flex Plan. Uh, just look it up online. Uh, you actually can change the type of energy plan you have each and every month and therefore change what you pay each and every month. Uh, that's www.energytexas.com. Hey, Blake, before you hit that next question, so, uh, somebody asked about Duncanville having 
30, more than 30 Division One prospects, freshman through senior class, I do. I see them in that 30 to 35 range. I think they're right there. They have that much talent. That's just insane. Absolutely insane. And, and you're saying, and just to be clear for people, that what did you say Duncanville's going to have go out? How many kids are going to go out for football in ninth grade, Jerry? Oh, I mean, they'll they'll have 150 kids, I'm guessing, 125 kids in freshman football. That's just insane. Too. I don't have the number exactly, but I'll have it the next time I'm there. I mean, but it's a big number. Yeah, that is just crazy to me. We we yeah. we got a few. Okay, before you get before you oh, get that, we ahead. got a few Micah Hudson com- uh, questions, commercials questions. Um, nothing new on Micah Hudson for mine. Texas is going to keep recruiting them. They're going to stay in contact with them. Nothing that we've heard that's moving the needle at this point. But again. Texas Tech can't be happy he hasn't committed because they thought this was a done deal over. So we'll see what happens in the future. And still a long way from signing day for sure. Yes. Okay. Well, Justin Yarbrough has a super chat and he says, Jerry, any info on the linebacker that transferred from ball high to IMG? Will any individual or team records have a chance to be broke this year? And can August 2nd hurry up? Great job as always. That, that's a transfer that actually surprised me because the new ball high staff was doing a good job there. They got in the playoffs. They're winning games. Um, uh, Jonah Williams' father's a, a local judge down in Galveston. That one surprised me. His brother was a big-time baseball MLB draft pick who signed with Texas, um, played, got up to the majors. Um, that one surprised me a little. Um, I'm interested to see how Jonah does at IMG because it, it's a big difference playing wide receiver and safety at ball high to go in to play linebacker at IMG uh, because he's not beating out um, Jordan Johnson Bell as a safety spot. So I'm interested to see how that goes, but he's also a very talented baseball player. So I think that's maybe has a two sport appeal for him, uh, but I'm interested, interested to follow that one and see how it goes, but I was surprised Jonah Williams went to IMG. Definitely a big time player right there, guys. Yep. And, and, you know, Jerry ball high used to churn him out. They don't as much anymore. Yeah, that one surprised me because the guys like the new staff and they won games this year. I, I was surprised at that one. All right, well, moving on. This is a more team-related question. It comes from Russell Hinkle. And he says, how would you compare the potential of this secondary over the next couple of years to the 2005 through 2007 secondaries? 057. So we're talking Shockey Brown. No, no, no. You're talking about, oh, well, yeah. Because it transitioned because 05, they. Michael Michael Griffin and uh, Michael Huff. And Michael Huff. Five first rounders. Yeah. Aaron Ross Ross came back. Aaron Ross was 05. Yeah. He won the, uh, the, the, uh, what's the, I'm Thorpe Award. Excuse me. Um, I would probably take this one over the 05 through 07 if you if you take out that one half year or one year of Aaron Ross, really. I would definitely go, I would definitely go these guys. Jerry. I, I think there's I think they've got three of the three of the five starters will be NFL draft picks. Yeah. And I think more than that, as backups are ready to go too. Yeah. I, I think they have five or six NFL draft picks at least in that secondary freshman through senior. Maybe seven. All right. Well, we're going to jump over to the other side of the ball now. Um, And this is a kind of a two-part question from William A. Jones. He says, doesn't Texas return 10 of 11 starters on offense? 
And when's the last time that Texas has had that much returning offensive production, Bobby? Well, if you're talking about production, you got to take Roshan and Bijan out of it. <laughs> yeah, you do. So that 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 one of the eleven, William is right. Ten of eleven return, but that one is the number eight overall pick. Um, uh, you know, I I don't know when the last time they've had. I don't think it's the biggest in production simply because of what I just mentioned. Uh, I at one point Texas had both Colt McCoy and. Uh, Jamal Charles coming back. Remember that? I mean, so mm -hmm. uh, let's let's get that clear. The, the piece, though, that's interesting um, is the 10 of 11 starters. And we know running back is going to be different, but two of the offensive linemen could be different, too. So that would make it 8 of 11 instead of 10 of 11, William. So I, I'm a little remiss to just say this is the most. I think it's definitely the most experience they've had in a while. I don't know if it's the most and, and the best. I need to see this. I, I I will say this. I don't know if y'all saw the comments from Georgia players today that Joe Cook posted. Joe was at uh, SEC Media Days. He asked uh, some Georgia players about A.D. Mitchell. And uh, Georgia players, pretty positive on on that him as a player, uh, just for the record. Yeah, yep. lots of high praise there for sure. Yep. I mean, the reality is if A.D. Mitchell didn't get hurt last year, he's probably a 1,000-yard receiver on a national championship team. Right. They know his talent because they went up against it when he was healthy. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Well, let's knock out a couple of super chats. This first one, a comment from Harry Orange Wookie yet again. He says, just an FYI, the Hispanic Titanic, Ivan Melendez, just homered for his third straight game in double-A ball. So awesome there. He's definitely... Uh, been doing pretty pretty good well with the home runs he's year. with the diamondbacks organization i think right yes yeah yeah look that dude gave everything he had to texas so i i wish him and more I, I wish him nothing uh but the best so yeah it's going to be interesting to follow his career that's for sure just let me know if they can if anybody can send the astros some pictures please <laughs> right now i mean this is ridiculous i mean it, Javier's either got a dead arm or a bad release point. Yeah. Don't even take me there. Roster seems on IL. <laughs> All right. Well, this next one is from D. <laughs> and he says, hypothetically, is it preferable for Texas recruiting purposes for Texas and AM to both perform well, placing a fence around Texas talent, or for AM to perform poorly, leaving Texas open to SEC powers? So I I think it's better if AM's an eight nine win team program. If Texas is a 10 11 win program. Okay. If not, your LSU loads up and they're all going to be good enough. They're going to be talented enough. Georgia's probably going to get two of the top prospects out of Texas this year. That's never happened before. Florida under Billy Napier is recruiting Texas harder than Florida ever has before. 
I mean, and so you're going to see more SEC resources coming into Texas now with Texas in the SEC and A&M in the SEC. I mean, Ashton Holloman saying poorly, poorly, and poorly. I think that's just people wanting to see A&M suck. But I think I look at things from a recruiting perspective. Um, you, you don't want more talent going to LSU, in my opinion, because I think Brian Kelly's a really good coach, and he's going to have really good players. And, you know, um, and Ashton's LSU, the landing spot for Aggies, lost recruits. Well, if LSU's winning at a high level and A&M's not, yeah, they're going to get some more guys out of Texas. It's just going to happen. I mean, it's better with both teams are good. One, it's better for the state, but it's better for recruiting purposes. It gives it more juice. It makes these kids want to stay in state more. I, I know people just A&M wants to see Texas suck and Texas wants to see A&M suck. But if you want all the best kids to stay in Texas or have the best chance at that, both programs being good matters. Why do you think no kids leave Alabama for so many years? Alabama and Auburn were both really good. Where were those kids going to go? It matters. Well, I, I've got this to say about it. I've been covering Texas and in, in Texas football and recruiting uh, for 30 plus years. And I can count on one hand the time when both teams were good <laughs> at the same time. Let's, right? I mean, do we that's all correct. that? I mean, that's so it's very rare for both of them to have good years simultaneously. It usually is whether we like it or not and what we what you would want or not it's usually one up and one down yeah very good point okay well guys get your thinking caps on because king me is gonna is asking who is the most underrated recruit in texas history university of texas or state i don't even know i Uh, assume they mean ut (laughs) okay um huh michael huff McCoy. I was thinking McCoy being a three-star. Yeah. Well, so was Huff. Yeah. Um, those are two that come off the off the top for me. Sam Acho was was a three-star. Um man. Those are those are pretty big ones, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think those are big ones. Um, I was just trying to think of anybody else that really jumped out at me. Um I think I think those are the two. I really think Michael Huff, Colt McCoy, um, Sam Macho would be a third one I'd have gone to. You know, look, Earl Thomas was barely a four star. May have been a may have even been a three star for one service back then, and he's a Hall of Famer. So maybe 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 it's him. <laughs> I don't think you can go wrong with any of those four answers for sure. Okay, well, moving on, Drew Smalley says, do you expect Trey Wisner to stick at running back, or is he a slot this time next year? Maybe depends where Jaden Blue is in this process, where Savion Red is in this process. I don't think that's totally dependent on on Trey Wisner necessarily. Jerry, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think the other thing is – what is Wisner's frame looking like a few months from now? Um, because what is that frame going to look like a wide out, a strong wide out, or is it going to look like a running back? Because the talent coming into the running back room can push you to slot receiver pretty easily long term. I mean, that's where he played at DeSoto. And that's right. Good. Yeah. I mean, so let's, 
let's, yeah. let's you know call it what it is. I think it's interesting how uh, Tashar Choice Jerry has gotten two different types of backs every year, and yeah. he did it again this year. I think. Yep. Um, By the way, somebody brought up the underrated and brought up a really good back, Deontay Foreman. He was a oh, absolutely, yeah. Good what one, a great one. Good one from the group over there. Not even the higher rated of his of the of his brother. And part of that was and part of that was academics because I covered that recruitment. A lot of people at colleges didn't think he was going to make it. So part of that was, you know, that recruiting process. You're going over the text. Well, we're not sure he's going to make it. Well, you're going to grade that kid down a little bit, but he would. And he wouldn't have been a four star if he had a four to be clear. But that's what put him in the lower three star bracket for a lot of people. Yeah, that's a good answer. There you see, he was ranked eighty three thousand and ninetieth best player in the country. Making money, carrying the rock. That may have been the lowest rated running back that won the Doke, obviously. That's a yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Well, let's jump over to a Brian Robeson was one somebody just brought up. There you go. <laughs> uh, Daniel Kinneman, $15 says, here's for a case of Shiner. Now then, how many top 100 guys when it's all said and done this year? Top 100 in the nation, Jerry. What do you think? Seven, eight? Yeah, let me pull that up. Um, I'd have I need to I need to look at the actual rankings on that to feel comfortable with it. Um, I'm gonna say eight off the top of my head. I'm, I'm well, gonna go. A with, lot depends whether or not they they wise up on guys like Daniel Cruz too, Jerry. Right. Exactly. Opinion. Exactly. Yeah. DeAndre Robinson. Yeah. Another one. I'm going to say seven before rankings changes. I was about to say as of right now. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Let's do one other super chat. Uh, Ken Ward says, after Demo getting drafted by the Cowboys, the hottest ticket in town is getting to be Paxton's locker mate. I am missing the context here. I am too. <laughs> Jerry, maybe you know. I don't know. I, I, I don't have that one. <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you, Ken, and we'll await your uh, context there in the chat, and we'll get back to that one. How about that? I, I guess it may be the the Jones and Paxton Anderson uh, connection, but I, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> well, we can always circle back around. Okay, well, Jerry, this one's for you, and it's from UT Boy, and he says, how important is Wardell Mack? Well, I think from the state of Louisiana perspective, it's pretty big for Texas because they've they've done very well in the Pelican State. And, you know, look, this will be another big win because th this is a different recruitment than ones Texas had previous in Louisiana. And I say that because Florida's going to be – if Florida's going to be like Texas in Louisiana with Billy Napier being, having coached at Lafayette, Jabbar Jaluk and Corey Raymond – being on the Florida staff, they can go toe to toe in Louisiana with anybody out other than LSU. So you have a lot of connections. I think Wardell really feels at home at Florida. I think that's interesting. I think his I think his family likes the idea of Texas. And then you have LSU. Is he really going to turn down LSU? And I like that he's going to LSU and Florida that last weekend in July because that means he's speeding up his timeline and he's going to decide here pretty quick in August. Uh, so I think this is a very tough recruitment to win because of the three schools that are in it, uh, the two schools Texas is going up against. That's Florida with the connections I just said, 
And then it's LSU who had a really good year one under Brian Kelly and looks like a program that's going to contend. So that's a different recruitment than there's been um, in the state of Louisiana for Florida in the last couple of years. And we throw Arch Manning out. Okay. So that's a, it's going to be a tough one. That would be a big win for Texas and Louisiana. And two, he's at a premium position. So of course it would be a huge win. Okay. Well, let's move on here. This one from Crystal and CJ Robinson. And uh, as a college prospect, how would you compare the trajectory of Colin Simmons versus Harold Perkins? Obviously, two different positions, but there you go. Harold Perkins, having seen both in person, was is a pretty special athlete. Okay, not that Colin's not, but you could literally put Harold anywhere and just tell him to run to the football, and he's going to make plays. I, I think Colin Simmons is a pass rusher a natural pass rusher is a little different. I think that is his position naturally where I think Harold can do a lot of things and just go run and find football. Right. Um, so I, I think they're different. Uh, I think as far as NFL draft pick, both those guys have first round potential. So you're kind of splitting hairs. I, I don't know what Bobby thinks. I think that Harold Perkins is more Von Miller-ish than people realize. Like I'm not so sure he's best position as linebacker. Like, I'm not so sure that Harold Perkins just shouldn't try to go be an undersized in like Dwight Freeney and yeah. make a ton of money and a ton of sacks. Yeah. Because that's how good he is at getting after the quarterback. Perkins, or excuse me, Simmons is more prototypically sized for the edge position. I saw somebody say that the, the edge position at Texas is, is more of that long, lean position nowadays. And I agree with that. Uh, and look, 33 tackles for loss. That's what the guy had last year. I mean, that's ridiculous. I, I, know, yeah. I know he's playing with a lot of other Division One players, but Colin Simmons, they're both rare to me. Um, Perkins is more of just a – I mean, like Jerry said, I could see – I literally could see that guy playing edge or safety. And I think he's he may be a better safety or a star type player like Jade Barron plays yeah. than he could be a linebacker maybe. I'm not so sure linebackers is long-term position. So he somebody go and get through the traffic. Yeah, somebody mentioned on the LSU that LSU got whacked the last game of the year against A&M. Kids don't care about that. Kids care about beating Alabama and going to the SEC title game. That trumps everything else that happened. That not not getting an extra point against Florida State, losing at A&M. It just doesn't matter. They beat Nick Saban. Kelly beat Nick Saban year one and went to the and knocked Nick out of the SEC title game. That's what matters. There you go. Well, this is my, okay. hey, guys, this is my last question. I got to get to my flight, FY. All right. Uh, it's a little context from Ken Ward. He says, Paxton Anderson is Jerry Jones' oh. grandson. He was Demo's locker mate last year, and he talked him up. When Jerry called him in the draft, he introduced himself as Paxton's grandfather. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> Learn something new. There okay. you go. Jerry, I had heard that, and I just, I just didn't pick up on it quickly. And hey, I'm going to hit this one before I go, guys. Nathan asked, do you feel like Colin Simmons visiting both LSU and A&M could mean he's speeding up his timeline? Yes, that's exactly what I think that means. Like Just like Wardell Mack, I think if you're trying to fit these visits in now, then your timeline's moving up. Um, we've, we've been saying on this uh, show or uh, channel or Inside Texas, we don't think Colin Simmons is announcing in – December, we think he's going to move his timeline up. Everything he's doing now, um, if he makes both those visits, 
in July is moving that timeline up in his own mind. And I think in, within his family, they'd love for him to have a decision made before his senior year. And that's for multitude of reasons. Take the recruiting process, uh, take the stress out of it, even though it doesn't go away, and to protect yourself against injury. Because he's going he's gonna to get his knees cut a lot this year. Right. So, hey, but guys, I got to go. Thank you to everybody um, on the live stream. See you, Jerry. Safe travels. Yep. Yep. Never stay flat. All right, Bobby. I, I want to say this about what he just said there yep. about getting cut. Colin, I mean, I've seen it happen. Colin Simmons is a marked man. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I've seen, and I don't mean that, in the, I don't mean that somebody would intentionally go out and deliberately try to do that, but I've seen absolutely opposing teams try to gang tackle a certain running back in a, you know, a tough way that was going to, you know, I don't know, Texas or Texas A&M. And it, whenever you get the blue chip marker on your, on your chest, you, you get a, you get a little extra attention from uh, the guys on Friday night. It's kind of like being the top team, you know, all no, no doubt. I mean, it, for... I mean, you got to realize you're dealing with teenagers too, right? I mean, it's not <laughs> the same. Yeah. Not, not always the, uh, you know, the right mindset <laughs> that needs to be anyway. All right, Bobby, we have a, a super chat from HornsFan224, and he says, I know it's early, but any thoughts on how 2025 will shape out relative to 2024? Quarterback will be better, perhaps wide receiver too with DeCorian. Um, So, look, I think that 20 – and we've talked about this. Uh, thanks for the super chat, by the way. I, we've talked about this at some level. A lot of 2025 is going to depend on how they do – on the field in 2023 this year will predict next year's recruiting class they win 10 games and again the important part here is that texas continues to show an upward trajectory period it doesn't mean oh they can win eight and be okay they're going to need to win 10. nine is a slight improvement but it's not i mean they need to go to double digits agreed um and so if they do that, I think that they will have more guys knocking on their door from in-state um, with the move to the SEC imminent. Um, and look, they're, they're in good shape as it is in 2024. But 2025, if they come off a 10-win season going into the SEC, they've already got uh, the quarterback committed. They're going to be in good shape. Uh, they're, they're in on a couple of guys already that they kind of have uh, inclination that they're leading on. Uh, Jerry mentioned DeCorian Moore in that RPM pick. Uh, Justin put one in for Jordan Davison, the running back out of modern day, which is just, if Texas were able to get him, that would just be ridiculous. I mean, so um, I feel I feel really, really confident, and I know those guys do too. Well, I'm interested to hear your answer on this next question. It comes from Topher, and he says, how many NFL players does Texas currently have on defense? So throughout the whole roster, which is a different exercise, um, I think there's about 12 or so at least on defense, but that's including freshmen um, and some sophomores, right? Um, Matt, you want to put that up for us to look at uh, the, the depth chart? So right here, I could tell you that I would say Sorrell, Murphy, and Sweat are going to make a paycheck. Yep. Okay. Alfred Collins is going to make a paycheck. 
Ethan Burke, too early. David Benda, unlikely. Jalen Ford, yes. Anthony Hills, yes. Gavin Holmes, yes. Jalen Catalan depends on injury. Jaron Thompson is a maybe. Uh, most likely not, in my opinion. Ryan Watts is a maybe. Jade Barron is a definite. Um, some other guys in that group that I think are, are interesting, Leonga LaFau, uh, Terrence Brooks, I think is a definite. Um, and then you have younger guys that I just don't know. We haven't seen yet. Like I would tell you that the likelihood Sadir make, Mitchell makes a paycheck in the NFL is pretty, pretty high. And he's listed as 14. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. Okay, well, this is a question addressed directly to you from UT Boy. And he says, Bobby, do you think DFW is currently like the Houston area was from 02 to 04 as far as talent? Oh, goes? that's, you know, the, the, the issue between these two metroplexes as it relates to um, uh, talent. Um, Houston has always had good talent and Dallas and the Fort Worth Metroplex has always had good talent, and it has gone in cycles um, where one one area would be higher. There was a time when Dallas, I don't want to say it ever dried up because it never – Dallas never completely dries up, but a lot of their best players in the early 90s started playing basketball. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of the best athletes and, and doing that. Um, Houston has always been a football-first uh, town, even in the, the city schools, even though they've had their basketball run as well. Um, I, I Look, I don't know if it's DFW is currently like that. I think it's as good or better than any area in the country, including I, I think DFW is definitely better than Houston right now, uh, especially in this recruiting class. Yep. I don't know where they stand over the next three to four years. I'm, I'm not as on the ground. I will say this. It helps in Dallas. Uh, Dallas Carter used to have Freddie James running that program. There's no doubt that his presence helped uh, South Dallas in particular. I think that the same way Reggie Samples is helping the guys in South Dallas right now at Duncanville. The thing that's really grown, in my opinion, are the the, the suburbs and the metro, the mid-cities with Arlington growing into so many high schools. Mm -hmm. Then you have teams like Allen that have grown and I mean, Prosper, I mean, Prosper was a, I think it was a red light when I first started this, you know, and 30 years ago. And now it's huge Frisco. I mean, so many more people uh, in both in both Houston and Dallas that I, I just look Dallas is right now is, is, is a, has more volume than Houston though. Definitely. Seems like Frisco is opening a new high school like every year. Eleven or twelve years at the most. It's like Cypress down in Houston. Yep. There's a there's a time about a ten year run where they were open a high school every three years. I mean, it's just phenomenal. <laughs> well, we have a, a pair of super chats here, Bobby. Uh, this first one from Damon Graham. I want to thank him, and he says, "Thanks, guys. Always enjoy listening to Inside Texas." So thank you for listening, Damon. And then Texas boy with another one uh, says Sark hired an analyst to manage the game. What does that involve? How does it help? Timeouts, points, if you're trying to go for two, simple things like that. But I really think that um, anytime you hire somebody to manage timeouts with two minutes remaining, for example, that becomes particularly interesting. How much time is left on the clock? How many, how many timeouts? 
does the opposing team have? Um, and do you need to keep, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So um, that's what it helps. Uh, you know, I, I personally think that pro teams, uh, I would do whatever the pros do nine times out of 10, because they've, they actually have the resources to put at that more so than college has um, historically. And so if they've been, if Bill Belichick does it, I think I'd might try to do it. That's my answer. And so if Sark's doing that and, and it's been a commonplace in the pro game, I, I have more power to him. All right. There you go. So Ashton Holloman says, Hey Bobby, what time in August will we know who the best edge players are on the defense? Two weeks in. Pretty quick. That's, I mean, look, I, I've been to, I've been through numerous uh, fall practices Fall practices are different than spring practice. Spring practice, you literally can have a guy still coming on and improving as you're closing out practice. Fall practice is a little bit different because they've got to get ready for a game starting at the end of week three. Okay. And so they power down after week three and try to really start trying to separate a little bit. At the end of week two, you know who is ready who's not, and who you have to watch for as the season progresses. The coaches know that, who is physically ready. Because you're not going to gain a lot of weight during a season. It just doesn't happen, right? Your body's either ready or it's not. And so I'd say check back around August 15th. All right, so, yeah, and just right around the corner for sure. Well, kind of along the same lines, Will Butler says, do you think the secondary will benefit more from a better pass rush this season? Or will the defensive line slash edge benefit more from better coverage? I think that the, the secondary will, there's two things that are going to happen. Um, I think that the boundary or that the field cornerback will be tighter and be able to play tighter coverage. They, uh, Deshaun Jameson, we had this argument kind of with, uh, I don't want to call it an argument, but disagreement with uh, uh, Justin Wells about how fast. Deshaun Jameson, four four five, but that's not necessarily super fast for a field corner. Um, it's particularly not fast when he's kind of slight of build, like Deshaun is. And so both Terrence Brooks and Galvin Holmes are actually guys that can man up on a guy better than Deshaun Jameson, um, and so that will actually help the edge rush i think because they're not going to have that easy rpo to the field like they've had for the last two years all that said um you know let's see whether texas actually produces a better pass rush i am hopeful that ethan burke is a more natural pass rusher than ovia gufu because ovia gufu was not a natural i mean he's the definition of a not a national a natural <laughs> pass rusher so i would say that that um I would say that the, the secondary will, will uh, benefit more, but only barely. I think both are going to benefit each other. Well, an interesting question for sure with an interesting answer. Okay, Bobby, Z Xavier Delgado says, what are the biggest position battles this fall? Running back and not necessarily who's number one, but how the rest of it all plays out. So how do they use Keelan Robinson? How do they integrate um, Cedric Baxter, Jaden Blue? Uh, you know, what, what is that all about? Um, 
after that, I think it's the guard center guard position on offense. So do Cole Hudson, Jake Majors, and Hayden Connor stay at their positions and stay as starters? Or do guys like uh, Cam Williams and Neto Umiozulu start to, to move around in there somehow? So that's that side. On defense, it's a lot more set. There's a field corner battle between Terrence Brooks and Gavin Holmes. I'm interested. You, you know, you talk about who's going to be the best edge player. In at around August 15, August 22nd, we're going to. That's going to be a really interesting battle that we're going to have to figure out where it goes. Uh, then I also say, um, who is the backup to Baron Sorrell, and who is the backup to Ethan Burke? Uh, those are interesting to me. And of course, given health, um, anything that happens to Jalen Catalan would be a battle to be figure out who goes next to him. Cause I could see them at that point in time, maybe trying to move somebody like uh, a Gavin Holmes back to safety. A lot of experience there, two year starter as a corner. Um, we'll see. Well, uh, you have another one here that's going to make you put your thinking cap on and it's from uh, Helio Castillo. And he says, which red shirt freshman on both sides of the ball will show improvement or flashes in games. Red shirt freshman, I'm going to go with DJ Campbell. I think he's a red shirt. Um, I, I think I just heard too many good things about him this offseason. Uh, defense, I I don't know if Ethan Burke was a red shirt or not, but I would go with him. Those are the two. And if I didn't go with... I will say this, if I didn't go with Ethan Burke at redshirt, the other one I would go with is, from, based on what I've heard, is one of two, Austin Jordan or Jalen Gilbo. Those are both quality guys. Oh, the yeah. question is, how do they fit in the, the secondary puzzle? Which is already crowded. Right. <laughs> <As it is. Yeah. laughs> well, they're going to graduate heavy this year. So That's be, true. It's about to know. be a lot less crowded. It could, it could be four or five they lose this year. Yeah, that's – crazy to think about especially going into sec well if they lose yeah think about this if they lose four of the five defensive backs blake and four wide receivers (laughs) and the quarterback going into the sec and the tight end (laughs) that that's that's going to be tough but you know we'll see how it goes yeah see how it all shakes out for sure well we talked about ou earlier uh, but jay the activist says how good is oklahoma's roster compared to texas I think Oklahoma is, is still building the roster. Burt Venables is a terrific recruiter. I really believe that. Um, I think he's one year behind where Texas is. That's what I think. And so, you know, he's probably as, as good as Texas was a year ago. He's a, a, a player short here, a player short there, getting better overall, still a year away from being truly competitive. Whereas I Texas, I think, is should be – hyper hyper competitive this year <laughs> well uh let's play a little hypothetical game here nathan rain says if texas beat tech in 2008 do you think texas beats florida that year for the natty i thought that texas team was better than the one that played alabama the next year i agree with that part of it yeah i i agree with that and the reason i would say that is florida had a really good secondary um but even they were being tested a little bit Oklahoma in that title game, Manny Johnson from Gilmer was playing with a broken hand in that game. Not many people people remember that. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I definitely think it would have been Texas uh, with a chance to win both of those games. Um, Florida was a really good team, and I don't want to take anything away from them. I don't think they were all that good on offense. They were much better on defense. They just had – I mean, they had tremendous defensive players in that that uh, group, especially along the defensive line. Definitely. All right, this next one is from Harris Howard, and he says, are we ready as a program for the hype if we uh, beat Bama? <laughs> we're Texas, right? I mean, Texas is always ready for the hype, in my opinion. Um, now, whether it's well-deserved is a different story. Um, you know, I I would caution – you know, going into the thinking it about it that way, I think the Bama game, if Texas is going to win, is going to have to be hard fought. Um, and tooth and nail, I do think that Bama is going to try to run the, the heck out of the ball. I've mentioned that before. They may try to try some deep shots, but if they go with Jalen Milrow at quarterback, they're going to drop back and he may run or he may, you know, I, I, I just don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, well, Working Man says, you know, Texas is going to have a third year with the same defensive coordinator. How long has it been since this has happened? I can't even remember. Um, Will Muschamp was defense coordinator from 08 to 2010. Todd Orlando was a three-year defensive coordinator. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, before he got let go. Yeah, those are the two. But, I mean, honestly, there really hasn't been a lot of consistency on either side of the ball, really. No, there hasn't. Not since Mac decided to, to let go of Greg Davis on offense. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, let's see here. Nathan Rain says, if Arch starts at quarterback in 24, will Murphy transfer, or do you guys think he stays? He looked good in the spring game. He did look good in the spring game, and I agree with you. Um, I don't know enough about Malik Murphy and what he's – like, I don't know him like a, like it, that's a very personal decision, right? Um, the odds are that he would likely transfer, you would think, but Mac Jones didn't transfer and it turned out pretty good for him. <laughs> um, the question I have there is, is Texas good enough to get their backup enough time to actually play enough snaps to keep them happy, Right. Because that's one thing that Alabama and Georgia have been able to do. Mm -hmm. They've won by enough points that they get their backups enough time so that they still remain happy, even though they have to wait a year. That's that's a that's a fair question. I agree. All right, Bobby. Well, I think we got time for maybe what one or two more at the absolute most. Uh, so let's do this one from Doak Walker Bijan, and he says this Texas team should not be worried about SEC especially when majority of star players will be gone after this year, which you just talked about. Do you guys agree? I, I definitely agree. They shouldn't worry about the SEC, whether the majority of star players are gone after next year or not is, or after this year is, is irrelevant. Um, it's one of the things Chris Del Conte wanted to make sure of for all of the teams in, in the Texas athletic umbrella. Um, I think that, I think that my, my vantage point is it's hard to tune out the noise and hard to think about it that way. But I do think that they're trying to just focus on 2023. So, uh, you know, I don't know about worried about it, but it's hard to, to, to really box out that noise. 
Okay, well, we're going to do one more, Bobby. It's recruiting related. Isaiah Stewart asked, besides IMG and Duncanville, which high schools should Texas be recruiting more? I, you know, you, you, it's hard to say recruiting more. Um, you would put, like, I'll give you an example, North Shore, right? Yeah. The, the problem that you have at some of these schools is that they're producing one to two guys a year. Arlington Martin, historically for me, has been one. Mm -hmm. um, Texas did not do well there for 10 years. Um, Mo Blackwell now obviously on the team. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, with Bob Wager going to Nebraska as an assistant, that might turn a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that there's another another school that I would – that I would peg as, as heavily as that one. Modern day is the only other one nationally. Yep. Yeah. A good answer there too. Um, I know I said that was the last one, Bobby, but I got to hear your answer on this one from Nathan Ranks too. Outside of A&M, which SEC team are you most looking forward to seeing Texas play in 24? Good question. Can't say, I can't pick OU either. Right. So um, <laughs> I just think that that's such a special game. Um, Georgia at home. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's – Georgia's going to have some dudes now walk into DKR. <laughs> um, and so that would be the one of, of all of them. Um, just because I feel like they are – I mean, they're the ultimate college football team right now, right? Two, oh, yeah. two consecutive wins, national championships. Literally. By the way, by the way, Joe, Joe Cook and I last night stayed up and watched the – the uh, Georgia Ohio State semifinal mm -hmm. from last year. I mean, you realize Ohio State missed a field goal to beat Georgia. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Ohio State's a pretty good football team. You Not know, as time expired, they missed that that kick. <laughs> Not too shabby. And it looks like everybody in the chat's either saying Georgia or Florida, which I figured would probably be the most popular answers for sure. All right, Bobby. Well, it's about that time for us to wrap it up. Of course, we want to thank Energy Texas uh, for sponsoring the show every Tuesday. Be sure to check them out. And we want to thank all the people with the Super Chats. And it's quite the list again. Harry Orange, Wookie, Michael Williams, Juan, Clifton Hines, Glenn Dickerson, Don P, Justin Yarbrough, D. Will 455, Daniel Kinneman, Ken Ward, Hornsfan 224, Damon Graham, and Texas Boy. Thank you all for the Super Chats. Uh, of course, be sure to hit that like and subscribe button. And then don't forget, head over to InsideTexas.com. $10 for one month or one year for $100 right now is the special they're running. You won't find a better UT site out there, that's for sure. And uh, for this for this edition of On Texas Football, I'm Blake Monroe. And for Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, we'll see you next time.